0: Hey, everybody, it's Matt, our Growing Greater podcast. It showcases inspiring stories of innovators and business successes and transformational projects, and it's made possible thanks in part to CIC and the team in Chester County. And as we kick off this episode, I want to extend a special thanks to TD Bank. As one of the 10 largest banks in the U.S., TD Bank has deep roots dating back more than 150 years and with more than 26,000 employees the financial professionals of TD Bank are helping small businesses and middle market companies, large corporations municipalities, universities and other customers from across all industries to grow their organizations learn more about all that TD Bank has to offer at tdbank.com and join me in thanking the exceptional team at TD Bank for their support of our growing greater podcast
1: This is Growing Greater, growing Greater,
0: bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabri yeah.
2: As we have this promulgation of digital health growth whether it's the small startups whether it's coming from within health systems or it's the larger companies the fortune 30 50 companies and so forth what's really critical around this and really need to work with our colleagues at comcast and others is the connectivity approach to this so how do all these different elements actually work together so that i as a provider I'm not overwhelmed from all over the place with how I'm managing my patient, and then even more importantly, the patient knows what's important and relevant. Access to quality,
0: affordable, and reliable healthcare. It's crucial to a successful society. And with the impact of COVID-19, that fact is true now more than ever before in recent history. As the global pandemic continues to evolve, creating major changes in how we work, shop, live, and yes, even engage with our healthcare providers, that access to health services that we as a society may have taken for granted is now being challenged like never before. The opportunity to visit with our family doctor or a specialist for routine preventive care or for elective procedures, it's, well, different. And in some cases, during the shelter-in-place moments of the pandemic, it was not even an option. Like many aspects of our daily lives, it was put on hold. The solution to this challenge? It's telemedicine as referenced by Raj Argawal. That's who we heard at the top of our program. And he's not only a physician, he also leads strategic business development for Jefferson University. The role that digital health plays in our society from both a business and a health perspective, it's vital and it's increasing significantly. The notion of telemedicine, engaging with a healthcare professional by phone, computer, tablet, television, or other devices has been slowly gaining traction in recent years. Fueled by continuing technological advances and by this global pandemic that is literally forcing people to think and act differently, we are seeing patients of all ages and medical professionals embracing telemedicine as an efficient, convenient, and affordable way to receive top quality healthcare services. This week on Growing Greater, we connect with leaders in the growing digital health sector, learning how companies are innovating and collaborating to provide treatment options for patients. Nicole Tranchatella, she leads the Philadelphia Regional Team at Accenture, a leading global professional services company, and Nicole and her team are helping companies large and small navigate the technology space, including digital healthcare, which is a sector where Accenture has been leading the way. Here, Nicole explains the importance and the emerging relevance of digital health.
3: When I think of digital health, you know, honestly, this topic was very relevant before 2020. And it's become extremely more relevant today for a number of reasons. Number one, as all of our lives move more into a more digitally enabled world, All of us are looking for ways in which to figure out how technology can help improve our lives. And health is an absolute example of that. And how can we do that through all the devices and the capabilities that technology enables us in our jobs, in the various roles that we have, you know, for me, whether it's a wife or a mother or a daughter, et cetera, or for any of us, as we're helping make sure that all of the people that we work with and, and love and care for are having their healthiest lives. And technology plays a really key role in making that happen. I think given everything that's been happening in 2020, there's a couple of pieces that I would say make this even more important. We need to make sure that all of the people that need healthcare can access it in the environments with which they are working and living. And the traditional way to get health care has shifted. And to be honest with you, I think COVID-19 has demonstrated that we can provide healthcare in a digital environment. We can do it more virtually than what we might have been thinking about before this year. And I think that, you know, the showing us what can happen, I think is important to prove that as we go forward beyond the challenges with COVID-19 and anything else going on in the world, today is how do we take these learnings into what healthcare should look like? And then when I think about what that means for Philly, look, I grew up in this area. I am a proud Philly Metro person. But one of the things that I'm extremely proud about is the amazing way in which the Philadelphia Metro is a convener of businesses and industries and different aspects around a topic like health. So we have amazing universities and research institutions and hospitals. We have pharmaceutical companies and startups that are calling the Philadelphia Metro home. We have incredible technology companies like Comcast that are looking for ways in which to have different levels of access to their customers beyond the traditional technology route. You know, Philadelphia is a perfect example of bringing all the different aspects of the business leaders together to be able to solve something like digital health. And I think what this region can do is honestly show the rest of the nation and the world on what good and great can look like on a topic around digital health.
0: Nicole, I want to drill down on one area that you touched on and just pull back the curtain a little bit more specifically around this notion of not only can we operate as a society, in a more effective way through digital health and through technology, but we actually have to now. It's actually forcing us to think differently and encouraging. And in some ways it's accelerating what kind of has been out there for the last couple of years. There's been discussion about it and some people use it and some people don't and some people are real advocates for it, especially the team at Jefferson. And we're going to hear from Raj a little bit later as well. But I, I never really felt like that it's been embraced. And one of the things that this global pandemic has caused is this embracing of technology in ways that we never really necessarily considered before. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that approach to kind of forcing people to use technology in ways they maybe never really thought about before.
3: You know, I think it's a good observation. And I think that, you know, honestly, the pandemic forced us to not only leverage technology like we've never done before, but to do it at a pace that we never thought was possible. Right, if you think about the Philadelphia region, as an employer in this area, I had to get 2,100 people to start working from home in days, not weeks, not months, days, right? And every employer and all of my constituents in this discussion had to do the same thing because we had to do the right thing for our people and our communities. And so, but what that did was that proved to us that we could do things much more aggressively than we were giving ourselves credit for. And I think we need to take that energy and figure out how do we apply it going forward. And I think that technology was another aspect of it, right? Working from home doesn't necessarily just mean you know, I've changed on my location. It means that I need to have connections. And it talked about, you know, what is the purpose of whether it's the Wi-Fi, the signal or the ability to connect with us one-on-one in a way that's different, right? I'm not going to be shaking your hand right now. I'm going to be waving to you through a Zoom call. Right. And what that looks like. And I think that what I'm seeing in our market is a lot of great examples of not only what could we do, but what should we do? And I think the aspect of that should is not just what's good for the business community, but it's also what's good for our community in general, right? All of us as leaders of major organizations have a civic responsibility to enable topics like our capabilities, like digital health, not only because it's a good business decision, but it's the right thing for the people that call this Philadelphia Metro home. And how do we make that happen for all people, regardless of where they live in the region.
0: And one of the things that I observe also being a native to Greater Philadelphia, Nicole, is that the history of Greater Philadelphia and the city specifically is anchored in this kind of spirit of firsts and it's anchored in innovation and it's anchored in collaboration that, frankly, from my observation, a lot of times it goes unrecognized, especially that spirit of collaboration. It happens more than we really realize. And one of the folks, and I should say one of the teams that's really leading this is the team at Jefferson. They always have, but it's really been accentuated over the past decade or so since the arrival of Dr. Clasco and kind of the vision he has brought and how he's empowered his team to really... Think differently and to challenge the status quo. And one of the colleagues that Dr. Clasco has brought on board is joining us today. His name is Rajesh Agarwal. So, Raj, you lead strategic ventures for Jefferson Health. And what I'd love to learn from your perspective when it comes to the opportunities, the improvements, the traction that we're getting more now than ever before when it comes to digital is that process of moving the connection between academia and business towards a common goal of improving health outcomes. And I know that's a really broad question, but you kind of straddle these areas of the health system, the educational and academic areas, and also that kind of practical approach of delivering by bringing these technologies together. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, Matt, absolutely. And thank you again for the invitation to speak today. Just uh, there was a lot to unpack there and let me see how I can do on that. But just to say I'm a practicing uh, frontline surgeon, really respect all of my colleagues through this pandemic that have stepped up to work for our patients across greater Philadelphia. I'm also uh, an academic and I also, as you said, lead strategic ventures. So, Just to go backwards a little bit, before we talk about digital health, I want to talk about innovation in healthcare in general. And there is something that's very pertinent to mention. So innovation in healthcare over the last 100 years, when you think about the introduction of anesthesia, the introduction of antibiotics, the introduction of cross-sectional imaging, the introduction of minimally invasive or laparoscopic surgery, which is something that I focus on, all of that has really come from within healthcare, right? It's been laboratories within health systems or research that are focused on health and we're gonna improve healthcare. That has been the mission, right? And what we're seeing now is that healthcare is being impacted from the outside in, right? The way we live our lives now is different to what it was 10 or 20 years ago in terms of we are consumer first, on demand, in terms of everything we do, you know, whether it's Comcast or Apple or anyone else like that. Lives are very much digitally based, and obviously that's accelerated somewhat because of a pandemic. And it's all about, as I said, on-demand, but also convenience-driven and focused on what I want. And there's this concept of mass personalization. So how do I get exactly what I want and not just what is good for the whole of society and just be cookie-cutter, right? And so that is how society... I believe has changed or has improved over the last 15, 20 years and everything that we do, whether it's banking, whether it's um, sports, whatever aspects of um, society we engage in. And so healthcare is now being impacted on that. And it's not coming from the inside in, where we're in control, number one. Number two, we can enable that delivery according to our rules. This is according to the rules of the outside. And now we are having to impact how we deliver healthcare because of people say, well, this is how I want it because this is how I can you know, get my food. This is how I can get my dry cleaning done. This is how I can get my videos and so forth. So so that is a really difficult situation for traditional. I work in an academic medical center that's been around for 196 years. They say, this is the way we do it. I've worked at Penn before as well, and I've worked at other centers across the globe. right? And so it is really destabilizing how we think about healthcare systems and services and delivery, right? And then the other aspect of this is that there are multiple stakeholders that are impacting on this, the traditional, obviously the health systems, the payers, pharma, device companies, they're all thinking how we have to change. And within this kind of milieu of change, there are then the new entrants of everything from the big tech firms, the big retail firms, we've seen the news about Walmart and Best Buy getting into healthcare, Comcast doing a strategic partnership, a joint venture with IBC, and then also the thousands of startup companies that are out there from the US and from Israel and other parts of the world as well. Right. So it's it's overwhelming. It is, yeah, it is overwhelming. Absolutely, and it is important that the other part of it that I want to say is we as a health system. So we do about sixteen hundred cases a day. We see four point two million annual patient visits a year. Right. We're trying to do this, you know, uh, Steve Klaska, as you mentioned, has been CEO of Jefferson for, I think it's almost seven years now, but we're trying to do this while maintaining the continual flow of patients. We can't do what Howard Schultz did for Starbucks and say, we're going to close for half a day. We're going to figure out what our issues are, and then we're going to open up again, right? And the analogy that I use is, what we're doing is we're building the new jumbo jet whilst it's over the Atlantic, flying between New York and London. And that is the further challenge of we're open by definition 24-7. So how do we do all this innovation that's coming from all sides? We're not in control of it, right? And we need to do this to be able to remain productive, remain active, remain essentially relevant. So I don't know if that answers your question. I haven't gone into detail, but that from a conceptual point of view is where we're at.
0: No, that's really helpful. And I'm glad that you kind of gave a broad overview. And I did want to get into a little bit more of the nuance if I could, because to your point, Raj, you're right. Jefferson, Comcast, Independence, Blue Cross, several other organizations in our greater Philadelphia region, they really have been at the forefront of advancing this kind of way of thinking and investing in new technologies and trying things that haven't been done and what I'd love to get into a little bit more if you're comfortable with this is if you could share with us some of those investments that your team at Jefferson is either looking at right now that maybe you weren't looking at three months ago, or frankly, you started looking at them three years ago and they're now getting the traction and getting the relevancy that maybe others didn't necessarily see until a emergency situation like this kind of unfolded.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably more the latter. It's things we were looking at which have been accelerated. Because, you know, as you mentioned, telemedicine isn't new. It's been around for ten years, right? But it's been accelerated. So we were doing fifty telemedicine visits per day and now we're doing three and a half right. thousand televisits per day, right? Right, right. It's not gonna stay at that level. That was by necessity. And so, you know, in my clinic I am seeing patients back in person. But we are now I think the fundamental thing here isn't the technology, the patients are now having a choice. They're getting called up by my office and they're saying, would you like to see Dr. Agarwal in person or would you like a telehealth visit? They were not given that choice before. They had to ask for it, say, why can't I have telehealth? And that's part of the the way you think about this. Just to give you a couple of um, specific examples. So every healthcare system across the world thinks about what's called the triple aim for the Institute for Health Improvement, which is about high quality, lower cost and improved access to care. Right. And then there's a fourth part of this, which is about the patient and the workforce experience. Right. So everything that we do focuses upon that. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so value based care, but also around access and also around experience. And it's really important about the experience of our workforce. That, I think, has really come to the forefront in the last few months. I mentioned it when I uh, first started talking about the challenges our workforce have. And so a few months ago, this is pre-COVID, we started implementing a staff duress system. We call that Strongline within our wards. This is for when our nurses, our frontline workers are in a um, threatening position, either verbally or physically and so forth. And we know how that can affect our workforce uh, in terms of downtime and so forth. And that goes across... All verticals, right? And so we started implementing. We co-developed with a company what that looked like. There were other things on the on the shelf, but we decided that we wanted to build something that really worked rather than A, B, or C. And what we were told is we like a bit of A, we like a bit of C, and we don't like very much of B. So let's build something that actually works. And that's what we've done. And then we've deployed it. And not just the pandemic, but obviously what happened just over a month ago with the uh, the riots in this city as well, obviously there was a lot of anxiety and We had our staff protected because if they were in direct communication with any challenging situation. they could press a button and within thirty seconds they would be communicated into security and their local co-workers as well, so that has really It's almost sad to say it, but we focus very much on our patients and the delivery of care. And here we are now focusing on our workforce. We're actually saying, this is something that's important to do that we need to invest in. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, it's a little bit more of a nuance from telemedicine. We've been working on a project with a company called InTouch Health out in Santa Barbara that does telestroke. Really, the world leaders in telestroke, they've just been acquired by Teladoc, which is one of the biggest companies from telemedicine as well. And... We've been working with them for about two years on saying, well, stroke's an important disease, but 250,000 people die of sepsis every year in this country. A million people get sepsis. And a lot of the reason why people do not survive or have complications for sepsis is they don't get the diagnosis quick enough, and then they don't have the expert care soon enough, right? And we understand that with stroke and there's been, you know, national media campaigns. It's not so much with sepsis. So we've been working with this company in in Touch Health to really have telemedicine robots in all of our community hospitals. And this is also aligned with monitoring of the patients in terms of their vital signs and so forth, and then have experts 24-7 on call within 12 minutes can connect anywhere in the greater Philadelphia region with a patient and a local provider to say, is this patient really sick enough to be able to be transferred to a quaternary tech care center or can they be managed locally and so this goes to what my boss um, steve calls healthcare with no address right and we know we have an issue with that in this city i'm from london we had the same issue where you went seven subway stops from westminster every subway stop led to a decrease in one year of life expectancy we have that same issue here as well and so What we want to say is, yes, Jefferson is at 10th and Chestnut, and that's where we have all our expertise, but we need to be able to deliver all that expertise across our region. And what I was told by the lead for this project from uh, emergency medicine, he said, Raj, whilst I always thought this project was important, this is a few weeks ago, he said, now this is probably going to be the most important project we're going to do in Jefferson, right, as a Department of Emergency Medicine and Critical Mm -hmm. Care for this year. So it's really raised the profile and driving that forward.
0: Right. So one of the things I'm taking away from this, Raj, is your example with Telestroke is it's causing all of us to think about how do we use existing technologies but think differently and apply them in different ways that maybe we hadn't initially planned to do. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's very fair.
0: So I want to drill down on this. I hope I'm not heading down a path that is inappropriate or awkward here, but it's the practical approach to this, and that's cost. And I'm curious how your team and others that you collaborate with on a regular basis think about telemedicine as it relates to in-person healthcare visits. And is there a difference in terms of the incentive financially? And, and is that an issue that needs to be addressed, I guess, is really where I'm going with this approach?
2: Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. If you just look at just the direct costs of care, so now we're not talking about payers and regulation and policy and so forth, just the direct costs of care. If you deliver higher quality care, it costs less. Okay. Fewer complications cost less, right? So that is very, very simple. So as we work on the triple aim, you deliver better patient experience, you deliver fewer complications, shorter length of stay, all of that kind of stuff cost less, right? Right. Now, the challenge is how you layer on policy and regulation and payers onto that, where right now we have parity for virtual visits and in-person visits. We did not four months ago, right? Right. The question that I'm asking now, my team, is do we get the same level of quality, right, by doing a televisit versus an in-person visit? And the answer for across the board is no. There are some, you know, I operated earlier this week, and I'm going to see my patients in post-op next week. That's their first post-op visit. They need to be seen in person, right? I need to check their wounds. That is something that I strongly believe should be an in-person visit. But if they're a year out of surgery and they're coming in for a checkup, then absolutely a televisit, right? So I think we need to look at this parity. It's been, you know, just a flat, it's the same, right? And right. I don't think, one, that's just not sustainable, right? And two, I don't think that's right either. So there needs to be some further clarity about how we do that.
0: As we get ready to welcome two additional guests to our conversation, let's pause for just a moment to thank the team at Chester County. Their support makes this podcast possible. One of three original counties in the Penn Colony, Chester County is known for its bustling boroughs, preserved open space, concentrated business parks, and sprawling farmland. These factors have helped Chester County and many of its towns and school districts rank on numerous top 10 and best of lists in both the state and the nation. With nearly 30% of the county's land dedicated as open space and with more than 280 miles of surface trails, it's easy to see why Chester County's active residents help make it the healthiest county in the state. Factors contributing to Chester County's ranking as fourth happiest in the nation include the world-renowned Longwood Gardens, voted the best public garden in the U.S. Westchester and Phoenixville ranked among the top 10 most exciting places in Pennsylvania, and four of the top five Philadelphia suburbs in which to raise a family, well, they're located in Chester County, too. Learn more at Chesco.org. And join me in thanking Chester County for their support of our Growing Greater podcast. As we continue our conversation on virtual health care, we welcome in Rich Burhanzel. He leads Accenture's global health team, and he shares insight on how digital health technology is being embraced more and more every day. We're also joined by Don Mathis of Comcast NBC Universal, where he leads strategic development and growth. Don explains how a joint venture between Comcast and Independence Health Group has resulted in a new entity. It's known as Quill, a digital health company that's delivering actionable and personalized health itineraries for patients and their caregivers. A digital roadmap, if you will, to help guide a patient's health journey. Here, Don describes how the seeds for Quill were planted. So,
4: Quill proper has existed for about two years. Prior to its actual creation, the, the antecedents for it were from both sides, from the Comcast side and the independent side. And exactly to your point, we found with the partnership with independence that the folks, certainly at least that we interact with from independence, are nimble. They're quick. They're much more committed to looking at disrupting their business Potentially, then you could sort of necessarily guess from the outside for a company as established. And as old as they are, they are, I think, willing to, you know, to slay sacred cows there for sure. And uh, certainly we like to think of ourselves that way, too. And so there was a natural affinity. And it really started before my time. I've been with the company for about three years. I'd say about two years before that, uh, Brian Lobley, who's one of the leaders of, you know, thinking through kind of, innovation and, and amongst many other things at independence and a gentleman named mark siri from the comcast team who you know is a longtime comcast nbc employee uh, he originally came from the nbc side who was part of the hulu you know creation originally they yep. got together and started talking about hey what if we created a venture fund that could leverage the assets of this technology and connectivity and media company together with the health expertise of independence. And this, this, I think, is a critical point. One of the things that we believe differentiates us from maybe some of the other non-traditionals looking at the sector is that we would like to maintain as much as possible a hubris-free zone, right? Where we don't believe that we are smart enough or capable enough on our own to impact healthcare. We, we believe we have to work with players who are well-established within the sector and understand the space commitment to innovation, but absolutely companies that are experts, subject matter experts in the category. We know what we know, you know, but as uh, a paraphrase, I think Secretary of Defense, probably not a great source, but a good expression. You know what you know, you know what you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. And we very much believe that. So in that spirit, we wanted to do it via partnership. We wanted to combine with somebody who had a deep understanding of the healthcare space. And especially in the case of independence, Understanding how the economics of it work, because I think something Raj said earlier, which is relevant very much as we think about it, we believe very much that if you can improve the experience, you will reduce costs. And we believe that you have to reduce costs to be relevant as a new entrant into the space,
0: right? Yeah, I love that approach that you just outlined, Don. That you know you and your team at Comcast recognize that you can't do it alone, and frankly, you shouldn't do it alone. And we'd be much more successful by partnering and collaborating with others. It really goes back to your point earlier: those early days of Comcast in 1963 when Ralph partnered with Pete Musser to to, to buy this little cable company out of Tupelo, Mississippi, to create today what is Comcast. It's really impressive, and I want to springboard from that past to. The future, what's to come? And today, Comcast, to your point earlier, has so many different platforms in which to draw from. Some that are super successful, some of that maybe are just getting started. But this whole concept of you know, the home of the future, the X1 platform, the Lyft Labs. I even love the whole approach to the Internet Essentials Program, which is helping to bridge that digital divide and providing access to technology to communities that may normally not normally have gotten that access. And where I'm going with all this is what's next? I mean, what's your vision and and what's the team at Comcast looking at in terms of how to really maximize and harness this technology-based approach to digital health?
4: I think focusing on the digital health side, for one, there's a nice nexus there with our view of, of what we think the home of the future looks like. And ultimately, and it's another thing, I think this echoes really both Nicole and Raj, but uh, Raj had, had just mentioned, you know, this idea of healthcare without an address, right, which is a very compelling idea. Or maybe it has an address and the address is your address, you know, which maybe is hopefully a, a codicil concept. but that is something we think a lot about and we think a lot about what the home of the future will look like we do typically have a 10 year out time frame as we as a group think about things 5 years you know generally to 10 in that range with with 10 being where we really want to accomplish something major right and the home of the future probably has a whole set of things that characterize it digital health is going to be a part of it, we believe. And we think that the COVID-19 crisis has accelerated that trend. I think you've you've heard that theme today. So from our perspective, what we want to be able to do is enable, you know, Dr. Agarwal and his peers to be able to provide services to somebody without having that person necessarily leave the home. And that's not just the telehealth component to it, although certainly that's a big piece, but there is the ability to sense in the home if somebody is having an acute event or is you know a degradation or you know uh, within a chronic condition to be able to monitor that maybe starting with you know an aging parent but eventually reaching the stage of genuine remote patient monitoring to us that's where that part of the trend is going and we see it holistically you know ideally we're not looking to necessarily be hardware provider into that ecosystem, but more of a platform where we can take other players who are in this system, either traditionals or non-traditionals, an Apple Watch as a wearable, a purpose built wearable depending on your condition, along with, you know, a motion sensor which may indicate certain things, up to and including even things that are not normally thought of as a healthcare sensor, but generate a signal that we can evaluate that might have learning from a healthcare perspective that would be useful to your primary care physician or specialist for your treatment plan. So we really think that's going to be a big piece of the equation in the the overall healthcare system in the United States. And again, probably starts with the aging parent in the early days here, the next few years, Mm -hmm. but ideally progresses to the level as we get more and more clinical data progresses to the level of potentially being genuine, you know, fda you know not just type 2 but you know type 1 certified medical equipment and so forth that is useful to to your physician as well as it is to you as a as a patient or from a wellness perspective
0: for sure thanks for that don and i want to bring in our colleague rich Burhansel from accenture rich leads the global health team for accenture and a lot of what i've heard from don and from nicole and from raj And from my own observations as well, and I suspect yours, is the acceptance that people have with this new technology and how they weave it into their comfort level of whether it's telemedicine or whether it's wearing a device that can monitor our health and and maybe other things. You know, it's a mindset. And I'd love to hear, Rich, your perspective on the future of digital health, what it is today and how it's evolved, you know, frankly, not only over the last three years, but over the last three months because of the acceleration that the pandemic seems to be causing when it comes to embracing and innovating around digital health.
1: Yeah, certainly. And thank you for the opportunity to talk today. It's a really interesting and and important topic. As we think about virtual care in a broad sense is a large component of the growth in digital health that we're seeing right now. It's true that we've seen, you know, unexpected and rapid adoption uh, across the United States and even globally over the last, let's say, three or four months. We observed about three or four percent of healthcare experiences being virtual pre-COVID. And that number is, you know, let's say between 60 and 70 percent as we went through the worst of the pandemic. And as Raj mentioned earlier, that's starting to dial itself back to appropriate use of virtual care, and we would expect the same. What's notable here, though, in the question around acceptance, we actually went out and studied this question as it relates to the behavioral side of care. We went out in market a few weeks ago, and we were trying to understand what the acceptance of virtual channels for therapy, for behavioral care. And what we found is that today, somewhere around 40 to 45% of people who need behavioral care receive care for a variety of reasons. Sometimes that's a cost reason, sometimes that's a cultural reason, and and sometimes it's an access question as well. But the survey respondents, and these are U.S.-focused, indicate that about 80% of people have a willingness and an interest in using virtual care for behavioral care. Mm. And so when you see something like that, the variance between what the reality is in terms of access and what the propensity to use it is, and it's so much higher, then we would expect there to be a persistence on virtual care that is quite significant. I think the the question of persistence, though, has to do with something, first of all, with something that Raj appropriately pointed out earlier. It has to be done in the course of appropriate clinical protocols and care you know, first of all, from a clinician perspective, from a physician perspective, does Mm -hmm. it fit with the appropriate treatment that leads to outcomes that are of high quality? That's the first thing. But then also from the consumer perspective, and this is particularly important from that lens, it has to be convenient. It has to fit into their lifestyle. And so while we've seen the rapid adoption of virtual care, it doesn't mean it's been elegant or convenient or fit into an intentional experience. And so you see companies like Comcast and others trying to figure out, you know, what is that right fit, whether that's in the home. We've seen some experimentation even in the automobile mm-hmm. in other countries, because people, you know, when they're driving, they they might spend a lot of time in there. We've got a whole bunch of technology enablement possible inside of a, of a vehicle or wherever it is being able to fit it first into appropriate care, into that protocol, and then into, you know, the way people want to live their lives, the way they want to engage technology. It's probably something other than just a quick video chat. It's probably has something to do with experience and data and making sure that that interaction is connected to all the other interactions they have around their care. And it also is transparent to them, you know, the data and the other uh, pieces of information that are used In the course of that care.
0: Rich, the thing that really caught my eye or and my ear, I should say, is your reference to telemedicine and the distinction between what I guess I would capture as teletherapy almost for behavioral health challenges, in addition to or, you know, alongside. You know, physical care. A colleague of mine, a friend of mine recently attended a telemedicine experience with a dermatologist, which I thought was really intriguing. And she said it was a really great experience. Yeah. But the fact that telehealth or teletherapy, we are seeing an increase from about 40 to 45% to about 80 to 85%, at least in the level of comfort in receiving treatment in that way is pretty significant. And do you see that access continuing to increase, especially when it comes to teletherapy? It
1: has the same questions that we talked about earlier on the more traditional medical side of virtual care. You know, how it gets paid for is important, making sure we're delivering it through channels that are meaningful. But we know that most health insurers payers are looking at this very closely and how to not only make sure that this is rolled out more broadly and strengthened and industrialized, but also to think about how we look at then the connection between behavioral care and medical care. We know that particularly for people who are chronically ill, perhaps have a catastrophic event, uh, there is a connection often to uh, behavioral care. And if we can somehow create an experience that is a little bit more holistic through common platforms, through common experience design, ultimately through excellent data sharing among all the you know, components of care that are being delivered to the individual. I think that ultimately will be something that will turn the needle in a material way in terms of whole care and, and a whole person outcome.
0: The technological advancements that are redefining our healthcare system are truly incredible, rapidly making telemedicine and digital health part of our everyday lives. Some would say the future of healthcare is now, and it's thanks in part to the amazing cutting edge innovations being developed and implemented by the teams at Comcast, Jefferson University, and Accenture. As we wrap this episode, let's thank the team at CIC in Philadelphia. CIC, that stands for Cambridge Innovation Center. And here in greater Philadelphia, CIC operates at 3675 Market Street, right in the heart of U-City Square in West Philadelphia's University City neighborhood. At the core of the CIC model, it's their belief in the entrepreneur. The people of CIC recognize that invention propels innovation and that collaboration Drives a thriving community. For startups and expanding enterprises, CIC provides a home from which to work, allowing innovators to easily access resources and create positive global impact. CIC provides private offices and co working spaces, state of the art wet lab space, stocked community kitchens, unmetered access to conference rooms, enterprise grade internet services, operational and technical support, printing and copying services, high end furniture concierge services and so much more at cic you'll have access to everything you need including hundreds of other like-minded and diverse entrepreneurs service providers investors and mentors learn more at cic.com philadelphia and join me in thanking cic for their support of our podcast Hey, folks, if you enjoyed this episode of Growing Greater, please be sure to take a moment to rate and review our podcast and share it with friends and colleagues and family and through social media. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. SELECT is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our Chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com podcast.